Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. So this is not an easy message to teach in 45 minutes. I don't know how I'm going to do it in 30. I could do all things through Christ. But I'm hoping you guys never read the book of Ruth. I could cheat then. <laughs> As a pastor, I should never hope that you didn't read the Bible. <laughs> this is one time I hoped that, but... <laughs> All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we do not have biblically illiterate people. And thank you that you will give us your strength and understanding as we understand and unpack your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today what we're going to do is talk about how Jesus is our kinsman redeemer which is based on the book of Ruth. The, the word kinsman redeemer is mentioned seven times in the book of Ruth. Uh, it's not mentioned in that context in any other place. The laws for kinsman redeemer are in the books of Moses, what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, notwithstanding, it's not in Genesis, but in the other books. And um, it's an incredible story that will show us the love that God has for his people. Jesus told us in Luke chapter 24 that all that is written in Moses, in the law, the prophets and the Psalms are speaking of him. And what you're going to see through this book is an incredible illustration of that. That is to say, uh, it is not just the prophecies about Jesus, and there are numerous ones, in the Old Testament, that speak of Jesus. That's the confusion many Christians have, that it's just the prophecies, the messianic prophecies, like Isaiah 7, 14, 9, 6, 42, 1, uh, so many, I could go 53, so many prophecies, 49, 10 in Genesis. It's not just that, but the whole Bible speaks of Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. So, the meta-narrative or the big story of God in the scripture is that God is our kinsman redeemer. It's a love story of humanity lost and God beginning a journey of saving humanity, of bringing humanity back to himself through his son Jesus Christ. And so we see what many deem an obscure passage in the book of Revelation uh, as a key framework for this message today. So my objective, before I get into that, is to show how God orchestrates not only Scripture, not only the big story of God that is interwoven in all of Scripture, but in your circumstances, in your life, we see God as the kinsman redeemer. And don't worry, I'm going to explain what that means. Some questions to ask yourself during the message. Do I see the hand of God upon my life circumstances? Do I understand how God has worked in my life for his glory, even through difficult seasons of my life? And what is the generational impact I am leaving 
in my life. And so, as I already talked about, uh, the Bible has a big story that is the framework that we use to unpack individual verses and passages. So every verse, like John 3.16, any verse you could think of, should be interpreted in light of the chapter it's in. The chapter should be interpreted in light of the book it's in. The book interpreted in light of the testament it's in. And the testament in light of this big story, this grand story. So everything you read in the Bible, you're supposed to see Jesus. It's called a Christological view. You see Jesus in the story. And the big story of God, there's several big stories that go together. One is the kingdom of God, um, but the, uh, the, the other is Jesus, just Jesus himself. But another big story, you could say, is the kinsman redeemer. What Jesus is to us is our kinsman redeemer. And, uh, and so in Revelation 13.8, an obscure... Very rare do people know this verse, but yet it's possibly the most important verse in the whole Bible, because this verse is a foundation for understanding the rest of the Bible. It tells us in Revelation 13, 8, that the Lamb has been slain before the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. That's mind-boggling when you look at it. That means that the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had a talk one day, and they made a covenant together. It's illustrated slightly in Genesis 15, where God made a covenant, but he didn't make a, most people think he made a covenant with Abraham. It doesn't say that. It says that he put Abraham to sleep, and after he put him to sleep, God appeared as a flaming torch and walked between the pieces of the animal that God commanded Abram to cut. They would make, when people made covenants together in the Near Eastern days, they would cut an animal up and walk through the animal in, the, in a framework of a figure eight, and they would recite the blessings of the covenant and the curses for disobeying the covenant. So when God told Abram to cut the covenant, that means kill the animal, cut it in pieces, he put Abram to sleep, then God himself walked through the pieces. It's explained in Hebrews 6 that when God swore to Abram, because he could swear by none else, he swore by himself. Surely I will bless you and I will uh, multiply you. Meaning he couldn't make a covenant with man because man is sinful, man fails. So because man fails, and I fail, and you fail, God swore by himself because God cannot lie. And so what happened was Hebrews 6 and uh, Genesis 15 are actually referring to what God's covenant is. In Revelation 13, 8, it's when the, they agreed that man would fall, and after the fall, Jesus would die. He was slain before the foundation of the world. So in Genesis 1, even before, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was slain. Before Adam sinned, Jesus was slain. God already knew he was going to die, and he was going to sin. 
And there are some people who are very foolish. They look at scripture as individual verses. They don't see the big story, so they misinterpret the verses. And there are people who look at Genesis 3, and it seems to indicate that God was surprised when Adam sinned. He said, where are you, Adam? Uh, have you eaten of the fruit? Uh, and so people think, and there are a lot of scriptures, especially in Jeremiah 7, different scriptures, where it looks like God was surprised, or God didn't know something was going to happen. Um, but they look at that, and they come up with this crazy, cockamamie, uh, unfortunate doctrine called open theism, where they teach that God doesn't know all of the future, and they use these verses because he's surprised by certain things. So the future is not totally known, and some national preachers believe this, and I don't want to mention any names. What they fail to realize is when you look at the big story and you unpack every verse, you see how to interpret it. God was never surprised by Adam's sin. No, when God looks surprised, what he's doing is using what's called anthropomorphic language. That is to say, anthro means human. Morphic, he's talking about a way of communicating to humans so that we can identify and connect with God emotionally. So God acts a certain way so that we can enter into fellowship with his sufferings and with how he feels so we could understand him and know him and even grieve with him. But it doesn't mean he didn't know it was going to happen. How many of you follow me? So once we understand this anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic language, we understand that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. That is a backdrop for the book of Ruth. How? Well, we'll find out. What is a kinsman redeemer? So a kinsman redeemer is a, a teaching in Scripture when a male relative, according to various laws found in the books of Moses, had the privilege or responsibility to act for a relative who is in dire need, distress, danger, or need of vindication. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, examples, but we see throughout Scripture that God winds up being, He is Israel's Redeemer, the one who will defend and vindicate them. So many of the Psalms talk about that. So in the case of the book of Ruth, we're going to find how this plays itself out. What is a kinsman? A kinsman is somebody who is a relative. So in the law of Moses, the closest relative was responsible to help out a family member in need. In this case, it was somebody who died, and his son died, and his wife was left a widower, and his property and his name was going to die with him unless the closest kin comes and marries the wife that was widowed, has a son, and raises up an inheritance for his son. And that's what the backdrop of Ruth is. Very powerful story. God is our kinsman because the Bible tells us in Acts 17, Paul preached the message, and uh, he said that, we are his offspring. He said that to unsaved Greek philosophers when he met with the Epicureans and the Areopagus and the sermon in, Paul, in Mars Hill. And he said to them, since God created us, 
we are God's offspring, meaning every person ever born is God's child. Now, he wasn't referring to them being God's child as, as a, as a, in a relationship, but as far as result, meaning in uh, Genesis 2, it says that God took the man, he was a soul who had a body, but he breathed into that man the breath of life. So every person who is ever born from that point on has been born because of the breath of God. So in that sense, every person as an image bearer of God is a child of God. Doesn't mean every person is saved or sins are forgiven because after the fall of man, humankind was divided into two groups, saved and lost. The sons of Adam uh, who were lost and the sons of Adam who were saved. The sons of Adam who were saved were descended from Seth. The, the sons of Adam who were lost descended from Cain. Um, and so throughout history, the human race, after the fall, was divided into two camps. But in order for God to save uh, the sons of Seth, he had to be the kinsman redeemer. So God is our kinsman, meaning we all came from God. But now God is our redeemer, meaning he did something about the fall. And so in the book of Ruth, we find that... Uh, in the days of the judges, there was a famine in the land. So this book of Judges that comes after the first five books of the Bible, after Joshua and then Judges. And then there was a man in Bethlehem in Judah who went to live in the country of Moab. So that's a non-Jewish country. They left Bethlehem because there was a famine. He took his wife and his two sons. The man who took his wife and his two sons, his name was Elimelech, oh boy, here it is, Elimelech, Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malin and Chilion, and they were from the tribe of Ephraim who lived in Judah in the town Bethlehem, and they lived there, they took Moabite wives, the name of one was Oprah, not Oprah, Oprah. In the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Now, i got to go quickly. In the course of time over 10 years, Ahimelech died and his two sons died, leaving Ruth, a widower, and uh, Naomi, a widower, a widower, and, of course, the, daughter, the other daughter-in-law. And Ruth decided to go back to her land when she heard that the famine was no longer there. So she decided, look, let me get out of here. I lost my two sons. I lost my husband. She wanted to release her two daughters from following her. And one daughter said, okay, I'll leave. But she didn't want to leave, but she cried and left. But this is what Ruth said. She said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. So if anything but death parts me from you. That's an incredible quote, a love story quote that people use as vows in their wedding. So uh, Ruth wouldn't leave. Naomi, Naomi saw he was, she was determined to go with her, and they came to Bethlehem, Bethlehem together. 
And they were so excited. And they said, Naomi's back. Naomi's back. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She actually blamed God for her hardships. She said, I went away full, meaning I had my husband and two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So she was bitter in soul. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitish woman, her daughter-in-law, also came to Bethlehem. So not only did she have a, a tragedy, but it seems as though Ruth, uh, I'm sorry, Naomi's life was tragic. It's one thing to have a tragedy. It's another thing to live a tragic life. And so she seemed to have a tragic life. She left everything because of a famine. When she was in a new country, she lost both her sons and her husband. She came back to her home country bitter in soul. And... Um, and so, what happens from here? How does God turn something like this around? Well, they came back to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Most of us are not farmers. Harvest has to do it when the crops are, you know, taken from the ground and harvested. And when she came back, Naomi realized she had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, and he seemed to be a rich man, of the clan of Elimelech, her husband, and his name was Boaz. Now you're going to see that Boaz becomes a type of Christ in this story as a kinsman redeemer. And Ruth the Moabite woman said to Naomi, let me go in the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. What does it mean to glean? Well, in those days, they didn't have any welfare system. It wasn't like somebody can get food stamps or checks every month. How did they care for the poor? The poor had a work for their well-being. So they gleaned. What is gleaning? Gleaning is that they were allowed to follow people who were collecting the crops, and whatever crops these people missed, they picked up and put in their basket. So this served two purposes. It took care of the poor, but it didn't rob them of their dignity, because whenever you give something to somebody for nothing, you destroy their self-respect. Welfare usually destroys people's respect. It creates generational poverty, unless someone's disabled and, you know, certain things like that. But generally, you got to have workfare, not welfare. Everyone should work for what they get. And basically, that's the principle of Scripture. That's how God cared for the poor. So she followed, um, you know, she wanted to glean, so she followed the people that were harvesting the crops. And the interesting thing is she said before she left... This is so powerful. She said, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain. Listen to this. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. She had a sense that God's hand was upon her. She had a sense that she was going to find favor. How many of you have sensed in your past history that God was with you, in, even in the midst of the unknown, even in the midst of, uh, of hardship, even in the midst of a journey that was... Very difficult in your life. So she just lost her father-in-law. She lost her brother-in-law. And she lost her husband. She was in a, back in her, well, to her, it was a foreign land, her mother-in-law's home country. And she's now gleaning. But she said, I'm going to glean in the field of one in whom I will find favor. So there she had faith. So it takes faith on our side as well 
as this shows us. And so Ruth said, go, my daughter. So she went and gleaned in the field and listened to this. And she happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz. Now, there's no such thing as coincidence. If you believe God, you're trusting God, you're trusting God's provision, you're trusting God's favor. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The Bible says all things work together for good for those who love him, for the called according to his purpose. And so she began gleaning by faith, believing she was going to have favor. She happened to come to the field of a guy named Boaz. And who is Boaz? Well, Boaz happened to be a kinsman of the husband of Naomi, Ahimelech. Next of kin. Almost next of kin, as you'll see. And so... By no coincidence, Boaz said to the young men who were in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? He happened to notice her. And the servant who was in charge answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, let me please glean among the sheaves after the reapers. And so here we go, Boaz notices her. She's believing God that as she walks by faith, she's going to have God's favor. And then we see what happened. Ruth finds out that, uh, I'm sorry, no, Naomi finds out Ruth is harvesting in a field owned by her next of kin or her, a person who's a kinfolk, not necessarily the next of kin. And she said, wow, this is wonderful. This is so amazing. This is what you have to do now to get Boaz's attention. When he goes to the threshing floor tonight, what is a threshing floor? I'm talking to people who live in this area. We have no idea what any of these terms are. Threshing floor is where they separate the wheat from the straw or the wheat from the chaff. And in this case, sometimes they threw it up in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff or the straw. The grain would fall on the ground. In this case, a threshing floor was when they took a winnowing, winnowing fork or stepped on the wheat. They did something to separate it. In this case, I think he was just stepping on uh, the wheat. So she said, go to where Boaz has his threshing floor. Wait till he finishes work. Wait till he eats and drinks and is happy. And then look to see where he lays down to go to sleep. And then go sit right at his feet and get him to notice you. And so that's what she did. Boaz ate and drank. His heart was merry. He went down at the end of the heap of grain. This is in chapter 3. She came softly, Ruth did, uncovered his feet and lay down. Hope his feet didn't stink. And at midnight, after all that, at midnight the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a kinsman redeemer. Wow. She's almost quoting Psalm 91, where it says that he will cover us with his pinions and his feathers. Boaz is a type of Christ. And then his answer, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You've made his kindness greater than in the first, that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. But now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. And he knew what to do. When she said kinsman redeemer, he knew the law. 
And as a type of Christ, what did he do? He went to uh, the next of kin who was uh, at the gates. And there was a guy who was closer to Naomi in terms of the bloodline. So he had the first right of refusal of laying claim to her land, as her husband's land, as well as um, any of his property, as well as Ruth. And, uh, and so, it's really powerful when we see he went to the threshing floor, he separated the wheat from the chaff, you see the biblical metaphors all over this. In Matthew 13, 30, Jesus said, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat to my barn. Ruth sitting at his feet just like Mary did in Luke 11, sat at Jesus' feet when he was teaching, was showing that she was the wheat that belonged to Jesus, that belonged to Boaz, because he was there to collect the wheat. And as she clung to him, she was showing and demonstrating, I'm not the chaff that you ignore or it's blown away by the wind, but I am the wheat. And... Um, in Matthew 13, as Jesus said, the wheat will be gathered into God's barn. And then in Matthew 3, John the Baptist said, Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. His winnowing, winnowing fork is in his hand. That's what separates the wheat and the chaff. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So here she is in the threshing floor. Here she is clinging to Jesus. Here she is showing that she's the wheat. You see the metaphor throughout scripture that Jesus and John the Baptist are referring to. Having to do with his people who cling to him. Who are gathered to him. And then we see that Boaz then went to the gate. The gate is like a city hall. That's where they did business, official transactions. He waited until the next of kin, the one closer than he to Naomi, related to Naomi, came into the town. And he said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab. She's selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I would tell you and say, bide in the presence of the people here. If you redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me so that I may know because there's no one else besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. The man was excited. Yeah, I want to get this property. So Boaz is real smart. He says, okay, but here's one thing. If you get this property, you also have to marry Ruth. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. Property, one thing. A wife? No, 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 no. He said, I don't, you know, I'm not going to redeem it. You redeem it. What does that represent? That represents how the world rejects us, a counterfeit God, wow. refuses the bride, cannot meet the needs, doesn't want to share the inheritance, teases you but doesn't follow through. But God, as the kinsman redeemer, Jesus, takes Ruth, who is a non-Jewish person who represents the Gentile world, uh, takes Ruth as his bride brings her into the church and is not afraid to give his inheritance but shares his inheritance like he said to the prodigal son. He said, all that I own is yours. That's who God is. He takes the roots of this world, 
those who are bereaved, those who have been rejected, those who are lost, those who are outside of the covenant, those who have no relationship with God, those who come from a foreign land, those who were once blind, those who once had no hope, those who once were not a people. He says, now come into my fold. I'm taking you as my very own bride, and I'm giving you all that I have. Wow. So Ruth represents the bride of Christ. And so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, Boaz took off his sandal. That was what uh, solidified the deal. He said, in the presence of the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought the land from the hand of Naomi that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilean and Mahlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have brought to be my wife, oh, praise God, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day, and all the people who are in the gate said, we are witnesses. And so then Ruth became the wife of Boaz. They wound up having a child, the child's name. I love this. This is amazing. The child's name uh, was, uh, where is it? Obed. They named him Obed. And here's what's so powerful. Named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. <laughs> Jesus descended from the lion of the tribe of Judah, in which David is the offspring of Judah. Now look at this. If you think that's not enough, if you count the last, in the last two verses of the book of Ruth, you count from Judah to David, there is exactly ten generations before David was born. Now why is this significant? Those of you who know the biblical story know that Judah had sex with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Um, and the reason for that was because, similar to Ruth, her husband died. They took, the, 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 another, the next brother took her to be wife, and the Lord got mad at him and slew him. He was wicked in the sight of God. So Judah had one more son, and he said, I'm not giving this boy to Tamar. So Tamar knew she was going to be barren without a child, so she fooled him. She dressed up like a prostitute, so I guess Judah was a holy man of God. And she knew where he was walking, and Judah took her as a prostitute, had a child by the name of Perez. Now, Perez was an illegitimate child, and according to the scripture, Deuteronomy 23.2, an illegitimate child, and which was in this case a form of incest, uh, incest, an illegitimate child could not come into the assembly of the Lord for ten generations. Deuteronomy 23.2. Ten generations, meaning there could be no priest, there could be nobody who serves in a tabernacle, there could be nobody who comes near the presence of God for not one, not two, not three, for ten generations. When you count Perez unto David, it was exactly 10 generations. So what happened? Judah's tribe, even though they knew they couldn't come into the presence of the Lord for 10 generations as leaders, meaning 
They couldn't serve in the assembly for 10 generations. They still discipled their children and kept them in the faith for over 400 years or 10 generations. And because of that, they were able to raise up the greatest king the world's ever seen besides Jesus, David, in whom Jesus descended from. You see the incredible story here of a generational blessing. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what kind of bad history you come from. God will turn it around. God will take your bitterness. God will take your trauma. God will take your pain. God will take your tragedy. God will take whatever you've gone through. Even if your descendants were sinners and uh, uh, involved in wickedness, involved in things that you don't want to talk about, God takes all that. And here's the thing. Jesus himself descended from uh, who? Ruth. A foreigner, not in the covenant. Jesus descended from Judah, who committed adultery. Jesus himself descended from Perez, uh, who was an illegitimate son, born out of wedlock, born as a result of incest. Meaning Jesus reflects all of our stories, no matter how hard it is, no matter how terrible, no matter how traumatic. Jesus not only died for our sins, but he became a partaker of humanity. Even the worst, even the most challenging, even the toughest of the situations we've ever gone through, he took part of our humanity so that he can have compassion on our sins. When he died on that cross, not only did he represent us on the cross and take all of our sins he actually lived through it in his genealogical background and his lineage he actually came as a result of all of these sinful generational tendencies of course he was born of a virgin so the sin the bloodline wasn't passed down to him because he had no earthly father but from mary we see and J joseph of course descended from tribe of judah Wow, what does that mean? There's hope for you, no matter what goes on. You might say, I've been outside the covenant, outside the promise, Ruth was. You might say, man, I've really messed up. Well, join the club, we've all really messed up. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God not only loves you, God betrothes himself to you. It says that when we join the Lord, we become one spirit. When we get married, we become one flesh in the natural, but in the spirit, we become one spirit. We're married to the Lord. And all that he owns, he's bestowing upon you. There's no such thing as a person that's sinned too great that he doesn't love and doesn't care for. He not only loves you, not only die for you, but he is married to you. Whew. Wow. Married! Till death do his part. Of course, he already died and never dies again. And we who believe in him will never die. And the last thing I'll say is the husband of Ruth died same way the husband of Tamar. The husband of Ruth died, and the husband of Naomi died. Romans 6, it talks about how we have to die to our former life. 
to be married to another, even Christ. When Jesus died, we died with him. We died to our former life. And that's what the old husband stands for. That is dead, buried, gone. You've been baptized with Christ. That stuff is gone. The old is gone. The new has come. Now you have a new life. Why don't you embrace that new life? God bless you. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.